Welcome, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. A little bit later on in the show, uh, we'll talk about whether or not you would use a dog nanny or not. Will you actually get out of the house with your dog, take him for a walk, or are you going to rely on a machine to do that for you? And we'll discuss that with my panel. We have Ruth Goodwin here. Uh, Ruth has a show in the Fringe Festival in Toronto this year. That's right. It's called... How many times is it? Lemons, 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 lemons. Five times. Five yep. times lemons. Mm -hmm. And it's a really interesting uh, kind of look at a world where uh, people's vocabulary or, or, or people are only allowed to speak at 140 characters at a time. Correct. So we'll talk all about that Can't a little wait. bit later on in the show. <laughs> You'll be able to see that show at the Toronto Finch Festival uh, from July 5th to the 16th at the Theatre Centre. Okay. Uh, Chris Abel is here. You know uh, Chris Abel. If you've listened to this show, he's a familiar voice. Uh, also, if you are listening to us in Montreal, you know him from the Aaron Rand show on CJAD and loads of other things. Uh, Chris is going to talk about virtual reality a little bit later on and an interesting interview that he did with Ivan Reitman. So what does the director of Ghostbusters have to do with virtual reality? We'll find out in just a little while. Also joining me is Chris Gudgeon. Chris Gudgeon is the author of a new book called The Encyclopedia of Lies. Uh, he's also the executive director of It Gets Better Canada. We're going to talk about that uh, in another segment. I want to concentrate right now, though, on Encyclopedia of Lies. This is your 10th book, is that right? No, it's my 20th book. Your 20th oh, wow. book. Yeah, so. You are prolific. Yeah. If nothing else, you are <laughs> prolific. Keep on, yeah, if nothing else. <laughs> so do you, uh, I, I'm, I, I've written, see, 10, I thought is a lot. I've written, uh, my 10th book just came out. So. Oh, really? Well, 10's yeah. good. 10's, no, 10's a, a good start. Uh, well, it's a good start. So uh, do you, uh, and I like talking to writers about their process a little bit. Do you write every single day you must. I do write virtually every, well, I try to write every single day. It's is not it a, an effort. I get up and I just want, I just start writing, basically. Is, is it a muscle that, that if you exercise it more, it's more it like gets stronger? A, uh, hmm, I don't know about that. I mean, I'm, I'm, at, I'm at the point where, like, I know a lot of musicians, for example, a lot of, uh, one of my friends is, is, a, is a really well-known drummer and he never practices, ever. Really? And I don't know any musicians that practice yeah. they, when they're going to do a tour they'll get together and rehearse yeah. but none of them ever practice so it's just uh it's now a really bad habit i think you got to get up and do it <laughs> but but it's been a, a, an interesting habit for you 20 books and uh you've gotten great but 10 is good ten, seriously well, thank, you, to... thank you thank you thank <laughs> uh, you i do other things though too as you do so uh your latest book is called the encyclopedia of lives uh, it's from Anvil Press. It's available in uh, bookstores right now. And Books, better bookstores and some crappy ones. Well, as actually. I always like to say, wherever you can buy fine and not so fine books, <laughs> yes, you, exactly. can, you can find it. Tell <laughs> us about the Encyclopedia of Lies. It's a It's my second collection of short stories. Um, there's a there's a, a real range. I was ex ex this is going to turn everybody off. I was experimenting with different narrative styles, <laughs> but it's that's not as terrible as it sounds. Wah, and there's wah, some wah. really short yeah. stories there. So, like, if you don't want to read a big long thing, there's some short ones there. So, I would read it. And, and are they bound thematically at all? The it's funny when I started writing it. Some of the stories go back really uh, maybe 15 years. Parts of them, but. Yeah. At the end, I had this title, Encyclopedia of Lies, which comes from one of the short stories, and it's such a, it's a good title, but it covers everything because it's lies, so I guess the theme is lies and how lies sustain <laughs> us. Like, I don't think lying is a very bad thing. I think... In, what, in what ways could lying be a good thing? Oh, everything we, I think everything we do, we all have like, um, <coughs> there's always a, uh, a, 
a discussion. I was asked to speak at a panel on creative nonfiction. I have no idea what creative nonfiction is. I've written, you know, fiction and nonfiction, yeah. but I don't know what creative nonfiction is. And my point is, uh, at the panel, I was saying, I don't know what it is, but um, any kind of writing you do is a creative exercise. And even if you're you're doing a documentary, or I did a film called The uh, Trick with a Gun, mm -hmm. and it's a documentary, but we, you cut things out, you organize things, and every time you make a conscious editorial decision, even if it's nonfiction, then it becomes a kind of fiction. And we all have like a story we tell about ourselves, or you go to dinner with a couple and they tell that stupid story about how they <laughs> bought the couch, and it's a, it's a bit of a lie because it's not exactly how it happened. So lies really sustain us. Lies give our, our, our world structure, our life structure, because it doesn't have structure. So the mere fact that we search for structure and create structure when we talk about our life is a bit of a lie. Well, I think memory mm. memory pushes you in that way, though. Yeah. I think you're, you're, the, the way that you remember things, uh, I have stories. I'm one of those boring people at dinner parties that will trot out you know, a, a story or two. And I have stories that even as I'm telling them, I'm like, is this true? I think it is. Like, yeah. I kind of believe that what I'm saying yeah. right now, but I'm not entirely sure anymore because I've told the story so many times. And, you know, if you tell something and it gets a laugh, then yeah. you go, ooh, I'm going to bump part. that up a little bit the next time. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. So I, I get where you're coming from. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I just think the when we grow up, we're in school, our parents tell us don't lie and I mean they're lying to us all the time <laughs> Santa Claus Santa Claus yeah, who Easter by Bunny. the way isn't real <laughs> what? Yeah. what I know well, that's, <sighs> I almost swore but. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, creative nonfiction though let's I mean uh, when those words sort of struck a chord with me I think of uh, Truman Capote in Cold Blood I think of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas by Hunter S. Thompson maybe that's what the thrust of that was I honestly at the end the, the people in the panel and in the room this was a at a, a writer's conference mm -hmm. and it was a non-fiction <laughs> panel <laughs> and uh, they were like mad like people were really right. angry at me and I, I was just being honest I still don't know what creative non-fiction is I don't know how what I mean is I don't know how creative non-fiction is different from fiction right. and I would say Every time you make an editorial, a conscious decision to structure something or you decide to use this instead of that and you have to have a point of view if you're a writer, then it can't be that they felt that what they were doing was real and documenting mm -hmm. the truth. And I was saying it can't be. It's, <laughs> it's got to reflect your, your opinion, your point of view. If you're a writer, it has to do that. There's no way to, to not do that. And I, I just finished actually doing the film and it really... I mean, I've done television, film, yeah. a documentary report, but it really jumped out at me with this particular project that we were like so much editing reality to make a story because you do need to... It's, a movie's got to be three acts, and yep. your life is never three acts. Well, I mean, look at the way that uh, news is presented. They, they, if, you, if we want to sort of bring this yeah. back to... Uh, what's you know, very much in the headlines now is sort of the idea of fake news. So mm -hmm. Fox tells a story one way, same footage, same essential story. CNN will tell it a different way with the same footage, just to different editorial decisions. Yeah, I've, I actually started off in a radio TV station in Terrace, B.C. Uh, in the mid-1984. Wow. And that, I was such an eye-opener because uh, decisions are made by if you have footage. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. If on TV, yeah. if you have like 
okay, do we have a clip of it? Like, <laughs> you know, the president was just murdered by, uh, you know, whatever. He was just run over by a duck and yeah. strangled. And do we have footage? No. Okay, well, what else we got? <laughs> we got the, there's a skipathon at the high school. Okay, we'll lead with the skipathon, and then we'll go with the president's murder by a duck. <laughs> Uh, let's uh, let's open it up to the panel. Uh, the book is called The Encyclopedia of Lies. It comes from Anvil Press. You can buy it anywhere that you can buy fine books, and the writer is Chris Gudgeon. Keep your eye open for it. We'll uh, give you all that information again a little bit later on in the show. So Ford is creating a robotic dog nanny that uh, takes dogs out for daily walks and, and even gives them treats and that kind of thing. I think part of the joy of actually owning a dog is giving it treats, seeing the look of joy on its face, taking it out for a walk, letting it run in the park. Ruth, would you have a dog nanny? I mean, okay, so I'm actually quite afraid of dogs. So, oh. I, like, I would just wouldn't like a dog nanny. And I don't like the idea of dog nannies because I don't like dogs running at me in the park because they scare me. My right. mother was very afraid of dogs. So, you know, your mom's afraid of something. You just are a bit afraid of it, right. too. She gives you her fear. And I think, yeah, totally. If your mom <laughs> shakes, then you shake for sure. But I think the idea of a dog and a robot coming at me in the park <laughs> is maybe worse. Chris Abel, you're a, a tech guy. Yeah. You know, ideally, you should be taking the dog out for a walk yourself. Yeah. Right? And I think everybody has that really good intention. But the reality is we have lots of dogs sitting at home putting on lots of weight. And so if it becomes to the point where we actually need robots to take these dogs out for a walk, if it's to the health of the dog, then I'll say yes, even though I may shade my eyes as I see robots walking dogs yeah. down the street and wonder, like, has it really come to that, I think? Well, see, uh, you're, you're taking a, a different look. I just thought of it as, like, people being lazy. But, right, there is something about the dog. Chris Gudgeon, what do you think? I don't know about the whole dog thing, but I want to own a ro I want to own a robotic dog nanny, just to tell people like, what is that thing? You just so, want a robot to take you for walks. I just want to own a robot. It's, yeah, and if it, apparently it's got a vacuum in it, so yeah. I, I assume I could get it to clean the house. Oh. Yeah, no, it's got all sorts of stuff. A vacuum that would clean up after your pet if it makes a mess or in me. the street, or you. I yeah. think it's much more likely that I will make a mess in the street. Yeah, and what uh, happens <laughs> when you get to the point that it's doing a better job of taking care of the dog than you. Well, I mean, there, you there is that when they become It will sentient. start off doing a better job than me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it also features uh, speakers that let the owners talk and reassure the dog as they're out on a walk, which seems like a bit of work. I mean, why not just take it out for a walk yourself? Now, do you record your own voice into those speakers? Or is it no, live? No, I think it's live. Wow. I think that you would be live at oh, home going, interesting. everything's okay. The oh, robot's not going to kill you. <laughs> you know, those are like, at work, you just have to yeah, like, make a quick phone call. I just have to, to your reassure my dog yeah. that everything's the, okay. The one thing that really jumped out of, at me about this story is that it's Ford engineers. Like, yeah. do their bosses go, uh, great. Could you now get back to designing windshield wipers? Which is what we're paying you for. Well, there was that one driver of a Tesla car that uh, people were posting this on social media that he had posted a message to the screen on his dashboard just to let people know the dog is in the car, but the car's air conditioning is on right. and they're monitoring it from you know, remotely, so please don't break the windows. <laughs> when we come back, we're going to continue the discussion with Ruth Goodwin. We're going to talk about her show, Lemons, 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 Lemons.
Simmons at the Toronto Fringe. Uh, we'll talk with Chris Abel about VR, and we're going to talk with Chris Gudgeon uh, about uh, a number of things. His book, The Encyclopedia of Lies, and uh, his work uh, that he does outside of that as uh, It Gets Better Canada, one of the people that works there. So stay with us. Uh, we'll be back soon. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. In studio, we have Chris Abel. Uh, you hear him on the Aaron Rand Show on CJAD. If you're in Montreal and the rest of the country, uh, you'll hear him right here talking about virtual reality. And uh, he's brought along a cool interview that he did with, uh, with Ivan Reitman. And we'll find out what the director of Ghostbusters has to do with virtual reality in just a little while. Uh, Chris Gudgeon is here. Uh, his book, The Encyclopedia of Lies, uh, is in fine and not-so-fine bookstores right now. And he's also the executive director of It Gets Better Canada. We'll talk a little bit more about that coming up later on in the show. First up, though, I want to talk to Ruth Goodwin. Uh, Ruth Goodwin is an actor and a director and used to be a television producer of mine many, well, not many years ago, like not sort of relatively ago. recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and you are now appearing in a Toronto Fringe Festival show yep. that will run from July 5th to the 16th at the Theatre Centre. Mm -hmm. It's called Lemons, 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 Lemons. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the tagline is, I know, uh, I, I can't know you in 140. Try. What do you say with 140 words a day? Yeah. That kind of sums it up. Tell me more about the show. So it's a, it's a great show. It's a two-person show that we're doing. Um, so my company, The Howland Company, is producing it. Uh, it's our second time at the Fringe Festival after um, we won Best of Fringe a couple years ago. So um, should be... We, sh we, we know a little bit of what we're doing, <laughs> maybe. Um, but the show is about uh, a time when the government imposes a, what's, uh, a hush law and they limit uh, every person to speaking 140 words a day. And the show follows uh, this couple who um, struggles to, you know, make it work um, Ultimately, they stop saving their words for each other when they get right. home at the end of the day. And so they... So you can speak more. If you don't say anything during the day, you can speak a little bit more at, at home. night, at yes. home? Yes, yeah. You have to... So they both have sort of full-time jobs mm -hmm. um, that they need to use their words for. And it kind of bounces back and forth between before the, the ban and after the ban. And it's it's funny, but it's, it's also... Um, it really has a nice... I don't know. It, it's, a, it's a lot about before and after a sort of absurdist political event that people go on marches and debate will or will not happen and then sort of what happens after and how people make it work. And will people find this show timely? Yes, yes, I think so. It's a timely show. That's why we're doing it at this time. <laughs> and where did you find it? Tell me, it's written so, by Sam Snyder. So yeah, Sam Snyder. He's uh, he. It's we found it. It did really well at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival mm -hmm. last year. Um, so we reached out to him uh, about bringing it here, and he actually has a lot of family in Toronto. So um, he was totally welcome and willing to have it uh, put on here. So. It's, it's really great. It's directed by um, Harveen Sandhu, who's this phenomenal uh, actor from, from all over the place. She's, you know, most recently in the Shaw Festival and just graduated the, the CFC program, their acting program there. So she knows what she's doing and it's going to be really great. Uh, tell me a little bit about being a uh, part of the Fringe Festival. It's always exciting. I go to see a lot of shows during the festival. They're an hour long. You can see, mm -hmm. uh, you know, one or two or three of them a day quite easily. Totally. Uh, and and there is there are 
I don't know about hundreds, but there are dozens of them to choose from. Mm -hmm. And the variety is so wide. As an actor, though, what, is it, what does it mean to be part of this? Uh, it, it means a lot. I mean, I'm, I'm there as an actor. I'm also there as a producer. Um, my company sort of uh, got their, their foot in the door from the Fringe Festival about four years ago. Um, we, when we won this Best of Fringe, it opened all kinds of doors to us in terms of um, grants that we had available to us. Um, last year we did a residency at uh, Canadian Stage, which uh, just a lot of great, you know, you can, it, it's a great place to be able to really put your own uh, voice out there. Um, so often as an actor, you're kind of limited by the roles available, even especially within Canada. Um, so the Fringe has this really great energy of, there's, you know, musicians, comedians, people doing shows in alleyways, people yeah, doing yeah. one-person shows in, you know, sheds, um, and then people like us doing, you know, shows in big theaters uh, that you wouldn't get access to without the Fringe Festival. There, um, So it's, it's great. It's a great launching off point for anything. And what I love about it uh, is that I, I go to the theater quite often, but I love uh, the accessibility that it mm -hmm. offers uh, it offers up theater to people that uh, might not go very often yeah. or maybe can't uh, afford or don't want to pay $200 a ticket to go to see something at the Royal Alex or uh, a theater like that. This is really affordable, yeah. it's accessible, it's easy, and it's fun. Yeah, I read a stat one time that, uh, I mean, Canada has the most fringe festivals in the world. Right. Um, and I read a stat that at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, I think they, or yeah, they sold something like 170000 tickets in a, in 10 days, which is more than the Citadel, which is their biggest theater, yeah. will sell in a season. Right. It's just like quick and dirty and so fun, so full of energy. It's 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 awesome. And there's always places to drink beer right there's, afterwards. Yes. You know, there's, yeah, always, there's always a patio or somewhere that yes. you can go and hang out with the actors. Totally. The show is called Lemons, 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 Lemons uh, by Sam Snyder. Uh, Ruth Goodwin is my guest and uh, she'll be starring in that show. It's a two-hander. Who's your co-star? Uh, James Graham. He's phenomenal. And uh, that will be at the Toronto Fringe Festival from July 5th to the 16th at the Theatre Centre. Uh, ticket information will be at... Uh, the fringe.com or you know what howlandcompanytheater.com go there and check it out the show is called Lemons 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 uh, Chris Abel another uh, tech story sort of came across here Boeing is studying pilotless planes as it ponders its next jetliner um, for me the idea is is uh, unthinkable <laughs> Uh, how do you feel about this? Yeah, I mean, in a way, we've kind of had pilotless planes anyways. Autopilot has been around for a very long time, mm -hmm. but it's just always comforting to know that there's actually a, a human mm -hmm. being sitting yeah. behind the controls. Yeah, well, I mean, I think of it, because absolutely, I mean, I know <laughs> that, uh, you know, what pilots do is kind of like hit a few buttons and then sit there and just make sure that nothing goes wrong. Yeah. But when it does go wrong, you need a Sully Sullenberger behind the, <laughs> the dash because uh, when they did that famous recreation, the computer recreation of the Miracle on the Hudson where he landed a plane uh, where a plane should not have been landed, the computer couldn't figure out how to do it. He just was able to do it intuitively. And that's what sort of scares me a little bit about this. Yeah, and I think that's exactly it. I think that you've hit the nail right on the head that, okay, it's one thing when you've got a drone or the craft is only responsible for itself. But when you're talking about passengers, 
then I think you do need human responsibility rather than computer responsibility. When we come back, uh, we're going to continue the conversation with all the members of the panel. That's uh, Chris Gudgeon. We'll talk a little bit more about his book, The Encyclopedia of Lies, and eventually we're going to talk about his work as the executive director of It Gets Better Canada. Ruth Goodwin, Lemons, 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 Lemons is at the Toronto uh, Fringe Festival. And uh, Chris Abel in the next segment is going to tell us about virtual reality and Ivan Reitman. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krauss. My guests in studio, Ruth Goodwin. Uh, you can check her out at the Toronto Fringe Festival, July 5th through July 16th uh, at the Theater Center. It's a nice big theater. I bet you they have air conditioning too. If it's uh, uh -huh. if it's ever stops raining here and Thank gets you. warm, <laughs> uh, you can see her show, Lemons, 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 Lemons. There, uh, fascinating stuff. What would you say with just 140 words a day? Is the question that and that the theater has 140 seats. No. What? No. Just by fluke. Really? Yeah. You should have mentioned that earlier because yeah. that blew my mind. Does everybody get one word? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. And that word is bravo yeah. as they are applauding near the end. Uh, Chris Gudgeon is here. He's the author of the Encyclopedia of Lies, a collection of short stories from Anvil Press that's in bookstores right now, and he's the executive director of It Gets Better Canada. We'll talk all about that uh, in just a little while. First up, though, old friend of the show, Chris Abel, uh, is here to talk about virtual reality. So you met with Ivan Reitman. Ivan Reitman is uh, the uh, Canadian-born, <coughs> L.A.-based producer of and director of Ghostbusters and many, 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 many other uh, hits. He is one of the people who kind of shaped comedy uh, in the sort of 1980s, uh, you know, 90s, into the 90s. Uh, now he's working on a, on a different project. So first of all, I guess, tell us what virtual reality is, and then we'll move in from there. All right, so this is his first virtual reality. He's produced it with a company called The Void, and it's called Ghostbusters Dimension. And what he's done with this that's different from every other project I've, I've tried is he's turned it into a carnival ride. Yeah, so what is that? So virtual reality, you 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 wear like a headset, right? Right, And it, it makes you feel like you're there. Well, okay, so it takes four people at a time. There's four of us. We would walk into a room. Each person's handed a vest, a helmet that has these virtual reality goggles you put on, plus uh, speakers so we can hear each other. And then you are physically walking through a complex of corridors and rooms. Mm. Now, in real life, those rooms are blank, and we're all in our street clothes, right. but through the goggles, we're all dressed as Ghostbusters. Oh, that's cool. And yeah. the rooms have things like paintings that follow you and fireplaces that crackle. And, of course, ghosts start to appear, and you've got these guns that you can actually shoot the ghosts and do all sorts of cool things like that. Now, what's neat about it is he's encouraged you to actually destroy the place. Right. So you can use those proton beams to actually just devastate the walls and all sorts of cool things. And then there's a bit of a game. So some people figure out how to trap a ghost and some people take the ride and never do. Other people figure out how to cross the beams, as it were. Yeah, yeah. Here's the cool thing. He's a big fan of William Castle, right. the film so director... William Castle, uh, for people that don't know, is film director who made movies like The Tingler, and he was all about gimmicks. So theaters that that played The mm -hmm. Tingler were equipped with a little electric shock in the seat. So yeah. when someone said, "Here comes the Tingler" on the screen, you got a little jolt on your seat. And he had a little gimmick for every movie he ever released, except for Rosemary's Baby, which he also produced. And so you can imagine how thrilled I was when I walked in, 
and I felt a wind machine on my face. Right. Or there was a spray gun that sprayed one of the group that got slimed. Yeah. Uh, that the floors actually rumble and shift underneath to simulate things like freight elevators going up and down. And where will people find all this? Well, this is at a place called the Rec Room, uh, south of the CN Tower. They are debuting it here, but it's going to be popping up at other places at Madame Tussauds in Manhattan. My favorite thing of the practical effects, though, is he's included smell. Oh, wow. So there are moments where, oh, okay, that's that's what just happened. Okay, interesting. Wow. Well, let's listen to uh, Ivan Reitman speaking with uh, Chris Abel uh, about virtual reality and Ghostbusters. I did a lot of magic as a kid, and so the idea of creating an illusion that goes beyond just the simple one, that sort of really goes deeper in the, so that it, it really creates an emotionality that you believe in, what they call the fifth dimension, <laughs> I think is all, it's all old magic stuff mixed with the most contemporary, the most cutting edge digital things that, that have been discovered so far. The magic show, which is I did with Doug Henning, because we both went to college at McMaster. We did it at the Royal Alex Theater, was the where it all started. So if you're the one who's in the storytelling, if you're the teller, how do you figure that out when you realize that your audience member, you know, they are the camera and they do all the selection. Where the void is really helpful in that, as opposed to the where you're sitting on a couch, you're being sort of led slightly through a whole experience, a kind of a maze that help at least guide the, you know, the hierarchy of the storytelling. And, and the fact that Ghostbusters is their sort of first public usage of this is, I'd like to think, appropriate because Ghostbusters really broke new ground back in 1984 in terms of telling a story in a whole new way, using comedy, using a kind of real naturalistic reality, the scare factor. I mean, it's, we played it pretty legitimately, you know, starting with the, the librarian who suddenly shifts on you and scares the crap out of you. And I saw it with all audiences and they said, oh, we got to take this seriously because even though we're laughing and having a good time, we never know when it's going to shift up on us. And after the movie was over, I thought it, I could watch it with pride and know that there was things that would hold together. And there's certain movies that, that seem to sort of live on. The fact that this has become kind of a, a contemporary Wizard of Oz has made me feel very fortunate. It is amazing, though. I mean, the the virtual reality thing, amazing. It's amazing that Ghostbusters is still like this thing, right? So last summer, the there was the the, the reboot of <laughs> of the series, which caused you know a lot of controversy, but also you know made some money. And now you've got this again, like for another generation. You've got more Ghostbusters. And he's been smart in tapping into this because usually virtual reality is a solo experience. Yeah. And he's made it an experience for four people to get together. There's actually little gaps where people can crack their own jokes right. and invent their own fun for the, the evening. I mean, it's an animated kind of adventure. There's nothing really terribly spooky. It's right. family friendly. But he's found the way to bring these four people. And even with gimmicks, it works. And it works how really long well. does it take to go through? It's about a 15-minute journey. It's not cheap it's yeah. it's going to be about twice the price of going to a movie right but uh for that first adventure that's going out there everybody i played with they had a blast i mean i went in with three strangers we came out as buddies right. afterwards mm -hmm. and i think that's that's very important that's chris abel uh he interviewed ivan reitman as we just heard uh, about the new virtual reality ghostbusters experience it's pretty cool stuff um we've just got about a minute and a half left uh very quickly wanted to talk about um babies 
babies born now may never actually get a driver's license. Uh, Ruth, do you drive a car? Yeah. Yeah. Chris, do you drive a car? I do drive a car. Chris Abel? No. No, see, so we're half, we're split <laughs> half and half, because I haven't driven a car in 30 years. Oh. So, wow. um, so, But the, the idea here is that with self-driving cars coming, and I guess there's a theme on the show that I hadn't really intended, but we're <laughs> talking about technology a lot, uh, it, that with self-driving cars and that kind of thing, people, you know, born now when 16, you know, or 20 years from now, we just might not have wow. dr- cars. I wonder but if fun, it's... the fun of... There's fun in driving a car That's, yeah. that goes beyond going from place A yeah. to B. Like, and most of the fun is involves doing slightly illegal things like driving too fast now. <laughs> well, it's certainly uh, for me because I have had a driver's license. I just don't have one anymore. I let it go because I, I wasn't driving, and I live in the middle of a giant city that has public right. transit all around me. So I haven't I, I, I haven't driven a car for for as I say about thirty years. But um, part of it was sort of a rite of passage. You know, like yeah. it's sort of that you are now old enough to be given yeah. responsibility over something, you know. I wonder if people that grew up like driving standard, though, now feel that us driving automatic is already we don't even have a license. But no, <laughs> absolutely know? they do. I can tell you, even though I don't drive anymore, when I did, that was still like yeah, a controversy. For sure. Yeah, the idea of driving an automatic and not knowing how to drive a standard. But then maybe it'll become the new rite of passage, and it'll just make more sense anyways, is you'll just get a drinking license. <laughs> uh, right? Yes. Because that's where everybody gets their license, so they can start drinking. For me, it was the Ferris Bueller effect. My sister got the car, I got the computer. When we come back, we'll <laughs> continue the conversation with Chris Gudgeon, Chris Chris Abel and Ruth Goodwin. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krause in studio. Ruth Goodwin. You can see her on stage in the show Lemons, 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 Lemons. Is that uh, that's how I'm going to say it from now on? Perfect. At the Toronto Fringe Festival from July 5th to July 16th at the Theatre Centre. Uh, check out the HowlandCompany.com. HowlandCompanyTheatre.com. Theatre.com uh, for ticket information and all that kind of stuff. Chris Abel is here. We talked about virtual reality and Ivan Reitman and Ghostbusters and all. All that kind of stuff. And Chris Gudgeon is here. Chris Gudgeon's book, Encyclopedia of Lies, is in theaters right now. He's also the executive director of It Gets Better Canada. Um, what does It Gets Better Canada do? It Gets Better Canada, we're the official national uh, affiliate of the It Gets Better Project, which was start, started totally accidentally about seven years ago. Dan Savage, who is a columnist yep. and... Um, provocateur. Is that a thing? Yes, it is. It sounds slightly dirty, doesn't it? I think you might be a bit of a provocateur. I'm a provocateur. (laughs) What are you? I'm a Virgo. Um, He uh, he and his partner uh, were concerned about a rash of uh, teen suicides in the LGBTQ community, and they did a little video talking about uh, how tough it was growing up uh, gay, and but how it got better. Mm -hmm. And they just posted, and they got like a hundred thousand hits in a really short time and and so this became a kind of movement and people started sending in youtube videos uh so it's it's kind of it's evolved from there and i started uh talking to the you american people about a year ago and we we have an agreement that started in november so we're using social media to essentially to market um positive messages to youth but also to kind of uh, gather youth and a community together to connect into a larger community and also to connect them to resources. Because it's one thing to say, it's going to get better, mm-hmm. don't worry. But you need the kind of tools to help you get to that point and understand how to get better. 
So does this exist primarily, well, it exists, I guess, primarily online, but is there a component? Are you pushing kids to go talk to people in the real world as well? Yeah, we don't, we're, our job is, basically I see us as a broadcaster, and we, we work on a lot of social media platforms, and, and the idea is that we capture uh, an audience, and we capture people's attention, and we direct kids to resources. So we won't necessarily be creating uh, resources, but for example, we're, we're working on a deal with the Trevor Project, which in the States has an, uh, a hotline for LBGT youth, a suicide right. line. And, but they also have an online component, which is available internationally. So we're going to tap into that so kids, no matter where they are, um, can, can go online and talk to peer counselors, and it's moderated. I mean, Canada is different, and we're, we're in independent, and we're focusing on Canadian issues. And there's right. a big issue in Canada is isolation. You can mm -hmm. be, if you're a gay kid in northern Labrador, your grinder's going to include like maybe a duck or something yeah. that's it right <laughs> yeah. so it's there's a lot of really specific things and, and right now i do want to very quickly mention we're we're doing a campaign in canada uh one in three lbgt youth attempt suicide um and we're doing a campaign uh just getting people to post a little video that says i support i'm chris from victoria and i support canada's lbgtq and two-spirit youth two-spirit is a traditional first nations yeah. Uh, concept. So you post a little video, you ta hashtag it, uh, I support Canada's LBGT2 youth, and you put it on Facebook or Instagram. And it's just a way of sending a message. And it seems like a small thing, but what we do know about um, depression and suicide among this, this group of kids is that um, the, the rates are high. But if you're, if you're a kid and you're in a supportive community, and your school has a, uh, a gay-straight alliance, for example, and there's family members that are supportive, then the risk is no greater than the rest of kids your age. Right. So you think just posting a video is not going to do anything? That's wrong. It's going to, ch it's going to tell some kid, mm -hmm. it, tell some kid that people actually care, and that can make a huge difference. That can actually save a life. Where do people go to find out more information about this? You can go on Facebook, mm -hmm. or you can go on Twitter. The Twitter machine is good. Right. And, and the hashtag, or the, the, the at is It Gets, it gets Better, better Canada. Canada. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. uh, so at It Gets Better Canada uh, for more information on Twitter, Facebook, all that sort of thing. Have a look and, and, uh, and make a video. Please. Make a, a little video short video. Yeah. Like, that's the, what we found out now. Seven years ago, people would make YouTube videos. Right. Now it's hard to get people to do commit kind of stuff. Right. But if you just take literally a minute. Ten, yeah, I, I was going to say, like, you know, 30 seconds 30 could seconds. change somebody's life. Exactly. Yeah. It Gets Better Canada uh, at Twitter. Check that out and, and do some good work. Uh, on a different tact here, uh, mini bars are on the way out. <laughs> There's going to be no more mini bars soon. And, you know, this is a thing that's been happening, I guess, gradually for a while. I'm on the road a little bit, and uh, I'm, you know, staying in it. Chris, you just got back from a from I'm a, in a hotels jaunt. all the time, and I never use a mini bar. I never use a mini bar, and I was thinking, when I read the story, I was just in New York for a week, and I was staying in and out of my, I was in and out of my hotel room all the time. I don't even know if there was one in there. Like, I, I didn't even look yeah. anymore. If I was six inches tall, I would use the mini bar. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm bad. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, for me, I, I don't think it's a big deal. Ruth, have you ever... 
I'm very I'm too young to it. have have been sort of interested in the mini bar. Yeah. Like it was kind of a thing in yeah, the eighties, so I guess. You go the 90s. into a hotel room and someone would always go, "Oh, there's a mini bar. Yeah. Right. There's a mini bar in every hotel room." No, mi- the mini bar just reminds me of Friends. There's an episode <laughs> of Friends where they drink out of the mini bar, which maybe that's like the only. <laughs> it's little tiny bottles. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. Little, yeah. It doesn't make any sense. No, that's not enough alcohol. But now you go, you, you go to a, a boutique uh, hotel. They always have bottles of wine. Yeah, there. they do. Yeah. So, uh, and you thought oh, there's a bottle of wine, and you drink it, and they go, it's like forty dollars. Yeah. For yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, there is a teenager charged with manslaughter after a failed YouTube stunt. Uh, Chris Abel, I will ask you about Ooh, this. So, yeah. uh, a 19-year-old from Norman County, Minnesota, has been charged with manslaughter after accidentally shooting her boyfriend while filming a YouTube yeah. video. So what happened, Mona Lisa Perez was arrested on Monday night after calling 911 to report the accident. Her boyfriend, Pedro Ruiz, was 22. They have uh, a YouTube channel where they make videos doing challenges. And there's a lot of kids out there that are doing this kind of thing. Look, I can eat a whole jalapeno. And that's what it, or whatever it is. Yeah. That's how they kind of started. And then it escalated because when you start getting hits, I suppose, you know, you want to get more the next time and more the next time. So what they did this time, and do not try this at home. Mm. She wanted to prove that she a bullet would not penetrate an encyclopedia-sized book. So he held oh, one in front of no. him, yeah. and she shot, and of course it did. And uh, so Pedro Ruiz has passed away as a result. Yeah, they got and a different type of hit. They did get a different type of hit. So um, Chris Abel, yeah. I mean, you're sort of involved in the world of social media as a tech expert and that sort of thing. Do you see more and more of the kind of dangerous end of this happening? Yes. Yeah, I think that there's more and more pressure to try to beat not only other people in terms of what they're taking risk risks, but also to trump your own adrenaline. So every time that somebody does this, they want, in order to chase after the the adrenaline effect that they get, they're going to have to do something that's a little more extreme than the last one. It's not just about getting more hits, but it's also, you know, that stunt I did at the time, it felt fantastic, but if I were to repeat it now, it wouldn't have quite the same zeal. And so I think there's that drive to stop thinking about the, the kind of pranks that you're trying to do. Likely somebody has probably shot somebody with a phone book and the bullet didn't pass through. But yeah. in this stunt, they went for the most high you know, caliber rifle yeah, that yeah. they could get, and that was the mistake they made. Well, it's sort of like jackass you know, times yeah. 100 or something like that. Uh, Chris, what, how do you feel about this? Chris Gudgeon, what do you think about this? I, 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 I mean, I don't really search them out on, on, uh, <laughs> on YouTube, but I'm not their target market either. I uh, target market. I think uh, a couple things. I think uh, the, it's not. There's a tendency to blame whatever's new for yeah. stuff like this. It's yeah. not. A, it's not the fault of social media. It's some young people who didn't think something through. And that's what really gets me. Is like we hear the story of this girl on YouTube, and right away it's kind of a trigger. It's YouTube. Oh my God! What? Are, oh, mm-hmm. how stupid! But there, right now, there's some girl who's shot her boyfriend, and that's yeah. like she is devastated. It's not. It's not a. You know, it's not a happy story. It's not a no. nice no. story for her, and it just it just must be terrible. That's what I think about. It must just be terrible at her. Yeah, and she, it's going her. to she's going to go to jail for this. I mean, it's it's you know, there's there's very real world consequences. Well, for and this. she's yeah. pregnant. So I mean, the the tragedy yeah. about this was it got to the point where they allowed their priorities to shift. Yeah. I mean, if you have a young baby on the way, maybe this is not the kind of adventure you should be taking on. Last couple of minutes of the show, uh, Ruth, fine dining restaurants should have the right to ban young children, says uh, a writer <laughs> and a mother. Oh. So if you're paying 50 bucks for your 
quinoa and yeah. steak salad, uh, she, and there's a, a screaming child next to you. Do you think that child should be in that restaurant? I think so. I don't think that's like very necessary, but I don't. I mean, we're all <laughs> around children at some point. There's nothing. I don't know. I just don't like that sort of banning anything. I was actually at a nice restaurant last night, and there was a like cute little child running around. Um, but I mean, just let him have a nice steak. Some kids want a nice quinoa just salad let them, and steak. Uh, let I, their freak flag Mom's fly. I so totally hard. agree, and I actually want to go a step further. And this is going to sound weird, but I honestly don't mean it as weird. <laughs> There's nothing greater than like being around a five-year-old or a three-year-old, I think you should be able to rent children. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, and I, I know that sounds terrible, yeah. but I just mean it's there's so much fun to be around. Yeah. yeah. I'd like to be able to go rent one, take him to a fine restaurant, just watch him eat. <laughs> what could be more fun than watching a kid eat spaghetti? Come on. <laughs> Chris? Okay, so I'm going to point out that you use the words fine dining. And I'm thinking back like 30 years ago, there were places that advertised themselves as being family-friendly. This is where you can bring your screaming kids to. And then you think of the places that were meant to be fine dining where it's people that mm -hmm. are there for a very serious evening you could make the case that maybe that's what they're going for but I, I suspect though that the restaurants that you're, you're talking about they use the word fine dining but it's not the classic form of fine right. dining right it's so, not the $500 uh, Chateaubriand for three yeah. right and yeah. so maybe that's a little much starting to ban children you know make up your mind what kind of restaurant you're running so we've learned today don't ban kids no robot nannies are okay <laughs> and uh, Ruth Goodwin in a show that has lemons in the title five times. You can see that show at the Toronto Fringe Festival July 5th through the 16th. It is called Lemons, 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 Lemons. Uh, Chris Gudgeon, check out his book Encyclopedia of Lies. It's a collection of stor short stories from Anvil Press. It's available in fine and not-so-fine bookstores everywhere. And check out It Gets Better Canada on Twitter. And why not make a video? It'll take you 30 seconds. It'll take you a minute to upload it, uh, and you could change somebody's life. Chris Abel stops by with a great interview with uh, Ivan Reitman. Thanks so much to everyone for coming in. Thank you. Thanks for listening, and thanks to Mike on the board.